All right. Thank you, Allegra. Everybody, yeah, it's okay. You can clap. Remember. It's okay to clap at Hilltop. We're pro, uh, pro clapping church. Uh, I'm trying to think if that's even a real thing, but we're for it around here. Thank you, Allegra. Beautiful, beautiful. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Let's do that a little bit. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah. Well, you might be wondering where my lovely wife is and my little son. Um, yesterday, we were heading home from uh, my niece's birthday party, and my son broke out in a temperature um, around 101 and started complaining of a headache. So he's nursing that today. He's okay. Um, even. He's a little bit of a drama queen when it comes to this stuff, but we're, we're working it out. Um, so she is home taking care of him. Um, how many have been enjoying thus far the uh, basic series? John, John Cho. John Cho has been enjoying it. Um, it was awesome last Sunday to hear from Gary. Um, you know, John, everyone has contributed so much good stuff, I believe, to this series. And um, we're not um, steering away from uh, the topic. We're actually going to um, get a little bit more into the practicals of community and what it means to be a community. Um, and I hope to, by the grace of God, um, be able to um, shed some light upon God's heart when it comes to community, shed a little light upon his thoughts. I realized in studying um, this week and preparing for this Sunday that my idea or my perspective of community is so shallow, it falls short of where I believe God um, wants it to be. And that's simply because I just availed myself to his word. And um, I realized that God really loves community. He really does. And before I get ahead of myself, as I've, I'm known to, um, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to go back, I think, to the beginning to what I hope uh, reveal the heart of God. You got to think about it. The first community to ever exist was God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, right there, we should get a pretty good indicator that, that God is very much pro-community. If you look at it, um, in the beginning, we know that God created the earth and the creatures of the earth. Um, and when the heavens and the earth were said to be finished, within a seven-day period of time, the scripture says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, that God rested, right? And then if you look down further in verse 7 of chapter 2, it says, from the dust of the earth, the Lord formed man and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. Remarkable, isn't it? Just taking a clump of dust and forming it and breathing into it life. And if you look down another couple of verses to verse 15, you'll see that the Lord took that man, his name was Adam, and placed him in a garden, the Garden of Eden, to tend and maintain that garden. He put him to work. For those of you who are against work, well, God is pro-work. Like he threw the first man right to work, naming the beast and maintaining the land. God is pro-work. But in verse 17, we see that God says something jarringly different than what he said 
in light of everything else that he observed, that he created after he did it. He said after he created the beast of the fields and the fields and the trees, he looked upon it and the Bible said, he said, it was good. It was very good is what the scripture said. But when he looked upon Adam, he said something different, didn't he? If, you're from, if, you, if you remember the story. He looked upon Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Interesting, isn't it? You know, for example, in Genesis 1.31, after everything God created was finished, he looked upon everything he created, and he took, I imagine, in the sight of everything that he created, and he said, this is good. No, he didn't say this is good. He said, this is very good. But when he looked at Adam being alone, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I don't know, that, 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 that hit me when I, when I read it. You know, I... I of course, I've, I think I actually used the words when I was explaining to my pastor why I wanted to marry Bethany. I actually even used it when I, to, with Bethany. I was like, it's not good for me to be alone. Can't you see this? God said it. And all, although I, I do think some of that is true, I think that there's more to this picture, to these words, than just us finding our compatible, compatible excuse me, uh, uh, spouse, our significant other. What, what, what was about Adam's loneliness that displeased the Lord? Did Adam talk to God? You know, he said, God, you know, I'm a bummed out. You got me all alone here. Look at these creatures, you know. They all got a mate. They all got something with, you know, whatever. We won't go there. Um, <laughs> what is it? Adam's body language, you know. Is he bummed out? You know, somebody just, you know, over there. Yeah, that's a ox. Sure. <laughs> yeah, mosquito. Yeah. Was that what was speaking volumes to God? I don't think so. It's commonly teached that Adam was in Eden naming all the animals and realized that all of them had companions, male and female, but none were suitable companions for him. It said that this uh, made Adam uh, sad and lonely, which I can understand that. Uh, but then God, you know, I guess he recognized Adam's loneliness, uh, and he put him to sleep, and out of his body, he pulled a rib and created Eve. I mean, that seems so shallow to me. I don't, I mean, you got to picture this. I mean, Adam alone with God, experiencing unbroken fellowship, with God, he knows at this point of no sin. He knows not of sin, right? And yet we've kind of just, I think in our minds, in our doctrine, our theology, we've just rested upon the fact that he was lonely. God saw that he needed help. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I know that there's a lot of promises guaranteed us when we are in heaven with God for eternity. But I'm sure there's not fine print that says, oh, you know, you're, you will experience uh, freedom from sickness and, and you'll have perfect health and perfect union with God. But there's this little fine print that says, but you may experience, you know, uh, uh, abrupt times of loneliness. <laughs> this little clause. Just there. I mean, do you see that in the book? I don't see that. So it's hard for me just to solely say, oh, yeah, you know, of course, you know, Adam has something that... We don't have. We are going to have, but we don't have. 
Unbroken fellowship. He knows at this point not of sin, but yet he's lonely. I don't think that's it at all. The above statement or summary sounds plausible because it contains a number of elements, but I think it's an oversimplification that unfortunately makes it seem as though the creation of Eve was merely a response to Adam's needs. My hope today for us is um, that we'll see how unhelpful this conclusion is um, in that the summary of that notion that I just talked about briefly there um, misses some key points in the narrative. Um, If we look a little deeper or closer at what exactly displeased God, when we observe Adam's being alone and how it was not good, what stood out to God here that was different than all the other times he saw his creation and declared, this is very good? You know, after all, just to kind of drive my first point home a little bit more, there's a lot of married couples today that feel alone in their marriages. You know, the facts are stacked up against us. The statistics are there to show that a lot of married couples don't feel like they really uh, have their spouse's heart or ear. So we can't just carelessly, um, can't blindly just, you know, come to the place of where we think, oh, yeah, um, once we get married, you know, all our problems will go away. It's just not true. If we're not careful, marriage will actually exasperate or uh, accentuate, excuse me, our problems more than anything. And if I had a dollar for every person who's single, who wants to be married, who comes and meets with me and gives me the reason of why they want to be married, usually Genesis 2.18 comes into play, as it was my fallback too. But let's, let's think a little deeply about Genesis chapter 2.18 to get closer uh, to what is in the mind of God at this time and making this statement. Because for me, I think that this statement is profound. And again, just to reiterate something, what stands out immediately first in my mind, what's startling and incredible, is that when God made this statement, when God came to this conclusion, Adam knew nothing of sin. Adam had unbroken fellowship with God. He walked, the Bible said, in the cool of the day with God. Imagine that. So this leads me to this question. Was God not enough for Adam? Let me say that again. Was God not enough for Adam? You don't have to answer it. Just think about it. I think that we often assume that Adam's being alone was not good for Adam. And by God's design, that would be true in some cases. But I don't think, again, it's the full picture here. I don't think it's really in the mind of God when he says these words. How about this thought? Could it be that Adam's being alone wasn't good for God? You're going to have to track with me, guys. I'm not going to yell at you today. I might at some point. You know, I might get a little charismatic here, but I want you to think. I, it's, it, it's, it's, 
it's too far out of reach for me just to believe that God was not enough for Adam. But it's close, I think, more to the heart and the tone, the frequency of the text to say that Adam's being alone wasn't good for God. I'm trying to go after something here. We need to deepen, I think, our perspective when it comes to our togetherness, when it comes to our unity, when it comes to community. You see, community matters to God. You think about the great priestly prayer. Father, right? Jesus crying out to God, make them one as we are one. The same union, Father, that we enjoy. Let them enjoy their union as a community. That's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Those are pretty big shoes to fill, right? Jesus saying, hey, God, will you do this? Will you make my body one? There is so much at work today in culture that is trying to rip us apart. There is so much happening in politics today that are working to divide us. There's so many things taking place in social media. The new frontier of easy access news. You know, it's just right there in your face. Break the phone out. Live event. Bam! Friends, we have to... We have to be a discerning people. We have to know truly that when it comes to issues like race, when it comes to issues like color, the best thing that we need to do as a church is galvanize together, not allow this war that's going on to divide us. Come on, you think of the best, what is the best in Scripture example of evangelism? They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Right? The best example that we can give the world is not standing on boxes, on street corners, although that is a good idea, (laughs) preaching the gospel, but it's in contexts like this that our love is so deep. And it's just not... I love you, my white brother. It's no, I love you, my Korean brother. I love you, my black brother. I love you. It's not tried. It's not shallow. The best thing that I can do as a pastor in a culture that seeks to divide us is galvanize my relationships, especially amongst those who don't bear the same tone, skin tone as me. You see, I I didn't start Hilltop Church to start just a a white church. uh I didn't start Hilltop Church to just start an American church. I want this church to resemble heaven. What is it going to look like? 
in heaven. It's not going to look all white, friend. Our oneness needs to bear the reflection of Jesus' priestly prayer. It, it's, it's, it means a lot, guys. I believe that it means so much that Jesus, on the final hours, but close to his death, would pray such a prayer in such a manner, in such a way, in such language, using such language, excuse me, that he would cry out to God, make them one. Guys, there is something far, there is something going on. There is something at work today. I believe it's always been there, but through the efforts of social media, a lot of our eyes are being open. We're seeing things that maybe we weren't used to seeing. I know I am. I, I think about the tape that was just recently uh, uh, put on social media from the dashboard of uh, the police officer. I cannot remember his name. I was just catching up to this. What is his name? Yanez is a police officer. And what is the young man? A video was just released where from the dash cam of the, the police officer's vehicle, we saw what happened. We heard what happened. We heard the words. We, we saw it. And, and, and you, fast, you go back a couple years, you would have, Facebook has done so much I think to bring so much injustice to the surface. Where a white guy like me who, who grew, up, grew up in the back you know, hills of New Hampshire didn't know anything about racism because his dad and his mom taught him that there is no color. There's only your brother and sister. We would have black people over for Christmas. Nobody would say a word. We would have them over for dinners. Nobody would say a word. It was never an issue. Then you get something like social media rumbling and all of a sudden things are being shared and exposed. A darkness, a very vivid darkness. Now we're being educated. White guys like me are being educated on really what's going on. And the only thing I know how to do as a pastor is lock in is lock into family, is lock into community. Friends, we have to be wise. We have to use discernment. It's not where I wanted to go, but I think it needs to be shared. Listen, here it is. I see. Friends, if you are of color today, my eyes, this man's eyes have been opened. Back to the message. The ultimate point was not that all of God wasn't enough for all of Adam. It was that Adam wasn't enough for all of God. Think about the mystery of the Trinity. It's my come on, man. I, I need him on the front row. It works. Think about the mystery of the Trinity, right? Think about it. Think. For example... Our corporate enjoyment of God is deeply rooted in the great mystery of the Trinity, right? For example, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, James chapter 2.19. The emphasis in these scriptures is put 
are, is made that God is one God. And then you have Jesus in Matthew 28, 19. Says, he says this. He says he is three in one. It's very mysterious, right? Because of this great mystery, we can say in a sense that it is not good that God should be alone. The premise that God, I'm sorry, the premise that the Christian God isn't a monochromatic deity says that there are ways that God experiences God more fully and joyfully as three in one than if just he was one himself. Let me, let me say that again. The premise that the Christian God is a monochromatic deity says that there are ways that God experiences God more fully. Some of y'all listening. Come on now. God experiencing God more fully. The mystery of the Trinity. Now, this doesn't mean that God made us each to have our own little trinities. But, it, but listen, 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 listen. I know it's hard in Christian uh, charismatic, you know, churches to listen, but <laughs> I love slamming the charismatic church. It's so fun. There's just so much to work with. There's, that's it. This is best reflected, right, in Genesis chapter 1, 26. Think, think about this. The Trinitarian Council, right? in Genesis 1.26, comes together. And the first decision they make as a community is let us make man in our image and in our likeness. We, we are unique humans given the name that we follow given the name that we bear as Christians. We are unique in the sense that God has made us uh, many, but one. Think about Paul's words, right? Where he says, you are many parts of one body. We are unique as Christians in this sense than the rest of the world. So then I would say again, there are ways that God experiences God more fully and joyfully as three in one, and there are ways that we experience God more fully and joyfully as many in one. God help me. I really thought this was going to be better than the way it's coming across now. I mean, I mean think about this for for fulfillment and enjoyment. Let these thoughts run through your mind. You know, in Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Why doesn't he say, hey, just when you come and you gather in my name, you alone by yourself, John Cho, I'll be there also. I'll be right there. No, Jesus says, listen, when you gather together, two or three or more in my name, I am there. How about, I mean, do we, do we worship God like that on a Sunday morning with that understanding that we're not alone, just this couple hundred of us here in this room today, 
But God, Jesus is present because we're together. I don't, that rocks, that changes the game for me. That, that makes me come to church with such excitement. See, I don't come to church today because I'm excited to be with you. Uh, hey, listen, and no offense, I'm sure you're not too excited or thrilled about coming to church and being with me sometimes. Listen, I mean, let's be honest. But when we start to have, oh, I'm going to church. Jesus is going to be there. Why? Because his word said where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. See, I don't need the songs to be great. I don't need the message to be all that good. I just need my brothers and sisters with me because the promise is that Jesus will be there. I love the claps. They're awesome. They're making me feel really good about myself. But I want this point to sink in, guys. Do you come to church Sunday thinking, oh, I better dress nice. That boy may be there. I don't really want to go to church. Oh, hit the snooze alarm, you know. Or do you go to church saying, Jesus is going to be with us. He's going to be present as I gather with my community. I don't know, man. That works for me. It actually changes my whole perspective. Because if you think for a moment that it's not hard for me being the pastor to be inspired to get my butt here on Sunday... It is. But man, when I start to think bigger picture, I don't know. I actually get excited. There needs to be a new excitement that fills the people of God about coming to church. Statistically, it says that on average, families, people attend church two times a month. Now, I know for some of you, you're breaking that sound barrier. You know, you're, you're, you're way past. But I, I don't know about you. I hear that, and that frustrates me. Why? Because I want all of us to partake in the nearness of Jesus as we gather as a community, as we sing songs and preach words. There needs to be a new excitement about Church attendance. Oh, yeah, I said it. Come on now. You know, God, even in His wisdom and His greatness, decided not to go in alone. He decided to surround Himself with the Holy Spirit and His Son by His side. A council. (laughs) How much more? How much more do we need community? Listen, we were made in the likeness, the image of God. There lies, regardless of how you feel today, something within you that longs for community. There's something in you. You may not be in touch with it. Some of you introverts. Welcome. I'm also an introvert myself. I have to work hard at doing what I'm doing right now. It's what I'm trying to explain to you. But there is something, because we were made in the likeness of God, that, that is within our DNA, our makeup, that longs for our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So again, I say there are ways that God experiences God more fully and joyfully as three in one. And there are ways we experience God more fully and joyfully as many in one. The Bible does instruct us, make no doubt about it, no doubts about it, to worship and to pray privately, right? Matthew 6, 6. But that will never, think about it, that will never be the fullest, deepest, most joyful experience of God for us. The scripture just doesn't warrant it. Those full, deep, joyful experiences are reserved for Christ's united body. I want to go to church. <laughs> Put me, sign me up. Listen, if I wasn't leading worship, if I wasn't praying, if I wasn't preaching, I'd find something to do. I'd be here. Because my connection is more than just how I feel in the moment. My connection is to you. And your connection is to me. And that connection really revolves around Jesus being present when we gather. See, there's something that I'm going to experience that I can't experience in my closet that I will experience with you. <laughs> there is something that I will never experience or touch alone that I can touch, that I can grasp just being with the family of God. Oh, no, he's talking about going to church. That's right, I'm talking about going to church. Guys, we need to take back Sunday. Come on. I, you know, you, you can see it on social media. There's people in other countries going to churches when, at the, at, or in war-torn areas. The roof is collapsed because a bomb has just plundered the facility. There's other things that I've seen on social media where, where, where a Korean church were gathered, you know, a couple hundred of them knee-deep water because the church flooded, and they're there worshiping God. God enlarge us to have more of an appetite for togetherness and unity and oneness. We have it easy in the States. You got a parking spot, you got AC, you got everything. What should stop you? And you know, listen, I'm not trying to beat up on anybody whose church attendance is sloppy. Let that be in your own heart. Um, and that's really not the point. I'm trying to redirect our thinking when it comes to to us meeting together. You know how I try to redirect this worship team to come faithfully every Sunday to worship Jesus and to set up? As I, I direct them to the bigger picture of not service, but the glorification of Jesus, which is rightly due his name. Listen, I mean, if we have, I don't even know if glorification is a, a, a word. Uh, Christina will hold me responsible for that. <laughs> Glorified, whatever you want to, want to, want to. I'm not a dictionary. I'm certainly not a Harvard student. Um, and that, that's probably obvious. Oh, well. But I do love Jesus, and I love Jesus' people. You know, there are, there are some things that we can afford to neglect in this life. I'm sorry, that we can't afford to neglect in this life. you got to pay your taxes, Right? I mean, we all know that, right? Hopefully you know that. I mean, if you don't, you got to, you know, I don't know. <laughs> another message for another day. 
you got to brush your teeth. Hopefully you do. you got to eat healthy, um, somewhat to live a long and healthy life, right? You know that the Bible talks about not neglecting coming together? So, so I, I don't even really have to harp on, like, you know, church attendance and, and like, community and all these things. The Bible does it for us. And Hebrews 10, 25, the writer there talks about not neglecting the coming together as some practice. But I wonder how many of us live with the conviction that going without community is somewhat unhealthy. Just like, hopefully, not paying your taxes. <laughs> A non-negotiable, right? How, but how many of us, how many really of how many of us really have the idea or, or, or live with the conviction that this is important? You know, I, I have the privilege, I don't know how much of a privilege it is, but um, to meet with a lot of people who are in a lot of broken situations and circumstances. And, you know, often you can link, and often I do find that I can link the broken circumstances in their life is a lack of community. I know that we have, in the charismatic world, inner healing, sozo, bozo, the, the whole deal. <laughs> I, but I often think, like, you know... I, I, how much would Paul the Apostle need Sozo in the life of his ministry and what he faced? He would need like one every minute of the day. I mean, the guy was persecuted, thrown in prison. I mean, he was just, you know. Guys, there is something that community affords for us to live whole, to us, uh, for us to live uh, transparent in the Issues, the circumstances, the pain, and the, you know, you know, you know the deal, the brokenness that we face in life. There's something that community provides hope and help and wholeness for those issues. It's not a matter of just meeting with some professional all the time. It's about getting amongst and being known by your community, asking for prayer, just exposing your heart and letting others into those kind of, you know, places in life that you're not so happy about. I mean, one of the, uh, the biggest turnarounds for me in some of the areas that, that I was broken is just plain and simple community. And nobody waved a wand. Nobody sozoed me. You know, it was just like me getting around my brothers in Christ and saying, guys, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's happening. I need you. I need you to hold me to account. I need you to pray for me. Now, I'm not bashing sozo. I love inner healing. I love it all. I think it's a great tool. But I think that there's something that goes beyond that. It's called community. And it's helpful. And God is pro-community. And my desire for us is that we would live with the conviction that we need community. It's, it's not an if. It's not optional. It's that we need it. And we need the right community. Isolation is never the answer. The problem with isolation, as I said earlier, is most of us are designed for relationships because we come from a God who's relational. And in the New Testament, begs us and pleads with us to be one with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about it, community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God is into community. 
The Bible in Proverbs 18 once says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against sound judgment. Let us not be the person that Proverbs talks about. There is a lot of wealth. There is a lot of good that comes, that stems from being a community. My heart, guys, is that our sense of or our doctrine or our theology of community would be deepened in this, that God himself is a relational God. And our need for community, that deepened desire, that deepened ache in our hearts for community really stems from that fact. And we ought to pursue it. We ought to pursue it. Let's pray. Father, in weakness, Lord, I know that your strength is manifest. And Lord, I had a vision of this going one way. And Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, that um, you changed that. Often you do. But Lord, I ask, Lord, that even in my weakness, Lord, um, that these words would um, ring true in our hearts. They would ring true in our minds. And in our reality, God, that we wouldn't just be people who ascend mentally to the idea of community, Lord, but we would, in a real way, live out oneness, togetherness, Lord, that we, in the midst of even the certain things that seek to divide us, work hard at not letting the enemy divide us. Lord, that through the tactics and the schemes of the enemy, our uh, sense of community would only be deepened, would only be um, strengthened. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, guys, thanks for bearing with me. Um, we're going to have a couple uh, times where practically um, we're going to flush out what it um, means to be a community. It's one thing to just look at the big picture, but how do we live that out on a daily basis? And we're going to have John Cho and Bennett Shake um, share. John Cho will be sharing next Sunday. And the following Sunday, uh, Bennett Shake will be sharing uh, about forgiveness. Bennett will be doing. And then John will be doing love, which are, I think, key components on how to practically live as a community, as a church community. Listen, we love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Hey, we're getting out of here at a good time. Uh, enjoy the weather. Enjoy your family. Enjoy each other. You saw my heavy heart and loved me fast. Your beauty staring down my brokenness. You chose to throw your heart into the mess Compassion crashing down upon my bed You were there all this time Like a river running
If ever now in the wonder of your grace A thousand times, a thousand years my soul will say Grace You saw the crushing weight my flesh deserved
Uh, oh, this works. Uh, worship team, and anyone else that wants to help out, let's uh, get up here and throw in a hand. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. And if the stars amaze the worship so light, I can see your heart in it. Everything you made, every burning 
down my heart through all of my failure and pride on a hill you created light of the world abandoned in darkness to die and as you speak I uh-huh. 